And, you know, I think overall the, the financial education is unfortunately lacking. It's no one's fault, but I don't think we're, we're taught it at any point growing up. It's something you pick up from either your family or you have to pursue it on your own. So take advantage of automatic investing, take advantage of, you know, that kind of mentality of hiding money from yourself because you really do see the progress. And, and by tracking it in increments, you'll see that hopefully quarter over quarter and year over year. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 91. On this show, we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their current portfolio allocations. To date, we've interviewed nearly 100 millionaires, and our goal is to share their information, strategies, mistakes, and advice with you. Last week on the show, we had Mr. Hobo Millionaire. He has a net worth of around $8 million. He's an entrepreneur and also talked about his Airbnb rentals used specifically for mountain biking. He talked about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, his retirement plans, and even shared that his goal right now is to invest $300,000 per year in the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund. It's interesting to note that most of his investing started just seven years ago. He really started in 2012. So if you haven't heard that episode, go check it out. That's episode number 90. Before we get into the show, just wanted to thank our sponsor, Obsidian Capital. Creating passive income is one of the quickest ways to create and establish wealth. At Obsidian Capital, their core philosophy is to enable qualified investors to create long-term wealth passively through strategic real estate investments. Their team of experienced real estate professionals identifies stabilized and value-add multifamily real estate assets that will provide strong financial returns, a healthy risk profile, tax incentives, and additional benefits that come with investing in real estate. They pride themselves on a high level of integrity and have experience in acquiring and managing over $300 million in multifamily assets. Furthermore, their leadership has 45 years of combined industry experience. View their website today to learn more about their streamlined investment process at www.obsidiancapitalco.com. We'd love to share your millionaire financial story. Our goal, obviously, is to get a broad list of guests and stories. So if you'd like to be on the show as a millionaire interviewee or one who's close to millionaire status, we also like to feature their stories. Feel free to reach out to us. Please reach out to us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We have a great interview today with Todd. He is well on his way to becoming a millionaire and has a current net worth of 700000 Of the 700000 he has 525000 in equities, 160 of which is in taxable accounts, the remainder in IRAs, Roth accounts, and HSAs. They also have $125,000 of equity in their primary residence and keep very little cash on hand. We also talked to him about living in an area with a high cost of living, growing one's income, and his plan to be financially independent and retire early. So without any further delay, please help me welcome Todd. Todd, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I have been working in sales for all of my professional career. Um, my wife works in project management. Um, I have been uh, moving through different roles and, and now in a management role, overseeing a team of sales professionals, been able to Fortunately, grow my, my income over the years to a point of, uh, you know, being able to actually have a realistic opportunity to view being a millionaire someday. And, and fortunately, I'm on my way so far. That's awesome. And what is your net worth today? 
Right now, we are just over $650,000. And, and what's kind of the breakdown of that 650000 Sure. We have 525000 in equities. Um, in that equity mix, we have about 160000 in our taxable accounts, uh, which are with Vanguard, and then everything else is a combination of 401ks and IRAs, Roths, uh, some 529 and a little bit in an HSA. And then the remainder is in our primary residence, about 125000 And we try to keep minimal cash on hand. I think that's helpful in making us feel a little bit more squeezed and uh, being mindful of, of where all the, the cash flow goes. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that you keep almost nearly zero in cash. Does, is your wife on, been on board with keeping zero in cash? I, f- I feel like most people's wives is, are the ones that are like, oh, I need a little bit of safety in there. Or has it been like, hey, like, you know, we, we can cover something with a credit card if we really had to versus going and putting some in, you know, getting some cash out of the bank? Yeah, neither one of us has ever been super spendy. Um, when I first started pursuing a lot of this, this wormhole, uh, financial independence topics, I said to her, I want to pursue this to the point where if you start to feel uncomfortable at any point, let me know. And that's when I know we're pushing this too far. And I think that's a conversation we always go back to that resonates with both of us is as I started tweaking on the back end and adding more to the 401k accounts and putting money into the HSA accounts and figuring out, you know, all the transfers. Um, I said to her, just spend mindfully, but spend normally. Um, and, you know, raise the flag up when, uh, it becomes too much. So sometimes around like the holidays and gift giving, it becomes a little tight. I, I look at the Amazon orders and I'm like, what is this? Do we really need this? But for the most part, I think we're, we're at a good place. How much do you guys spend a year? Do you know? Uh, I do know. Um, it's a bit over a hundred thousand dollars that comes with living in a high cost of living area, having a couple of kids in daycare and then a mortgage and a pretty, you know, not, not luxurious, Two bedroom, one bath, or two bedroom, two bathroom apartment gets you to that point. I think you know the the mortgage and the daycare is about forty percent of our annual spending right off of that. Excuse me, higher than that, probably closer to sixty percent. And how much is daycare? Someone's probably curious out there. How much does daycare cost? <laughs> sure, we shopped around quite a bit, and the place we settled on was thirteen hundred dollars a month for one child. So when you have two, you're looking at a second mortgage payment there. Gotcha. And your so your wife is still working full time. Yes, she is. Yep. Um, just backing up here to to your net worth. So about five hundred twenty five thousand in equities. Is that international, domestic? How's that broken out? Sixty percent is uh, in the U.S. About thirty percent is international. Um, most of the sixty percent in the U.S. is large cap. Uh, you know, a lot of S and P five hundred and uh, you know VTSAX, the the Vanguard total market. The international, um, uh, you know, we can probably talk on this a little bit later, but I, I got a little fancy and I think about 10% of my overall. So about 30% of that is emerging markets. And then the rest is more total international funds. Gotcha. And then you shared with us about 150, 160s in a taxable account and the rest is in 401k and, and Roth. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. And then those are all in, in index funds. I would assume. Yeah, all, all in index funds. I think uh, a lot of the taxable is actually where the international is held. I know that there's slightly better tax advantages uh, with the tax credit if you have the international in the taxable accounts. So I try to leverage all of that over there. And the international, I think that came from initially I had been investing with Betterman and they have a pretty large international split. And then I know Vanguard, once I did more research in their target date funds, I think they're about a 60-40 split these days with international. So 
you know, they're, they're, they're trending that way. So I figured my breakdown should have a solid amount of international in it as well. What are your thoughts on those, on the international funds or excuse me, on the target day retirement funds? Target day retirement funds. It's, it's nice as a set in and forget it. Um, I have for, for my wife's options. I know we head towards the target date retirement fund there. Um, you know, I like to just take the step back and see, okay, where does that fit into the whole portfolio? Really wanted to get simplistic and maybe someday when it's all rolled over into one spot, you know, I could see it all being in one single target date fund, but you know, it serves its place. And I think for people who want to be as hands off as possible, it's a great option. Yeah. You know, we talked to an older gentleman on the interview once and, and he said, Hey, I don't, I don't really like target date retirement funds because I'm only, I say older, he's only 60, but you know, I think I still have 20 years left. And so even if there's a market downturn, there's enough time for it, for everything to be made back, you know? So I don't know that I, I want to invest in, in bonds for 20 years, but do you kind of see yourself reallocating in your portfolio as you get older or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who definitely is pursuing an early retirement. I'm thinking somewhere in my forties, you can pull that off. Uh, based on some of the research I've read, the, the glide path concept of at that point is actually the best time to reduce down to the smallest uh, amount of equities. But then as you advance in age to continue to move the bonds back over to equities, it seems pretty academic, the stuff I've read, but it makes a lot of sense on the forefront of you're actually going to have less risk as you get older. So why not push it at that point and, and go a little bit harder in terms of trying to grow that number? Um, it seems like the immediate time of, of retirement is when you're going to need to be the most conservative. Yeah. And I think it also depends on, on A, your net worth and B, how your net worth is invested, right? I mean, if you, mm-hmm. if you have most of it in the market, maybe you want to be a little bit more conservative or something. Whereas if you have cash flow somewhere else, you could be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, and that's how I that's how I feel. You know, I feel I have no issue being aggressive now. Um, you know, I plan on having uh the horizon of working is as long as I want to keep it. So, you know, have the opportunity to take more risk in that capacity. Yeah. So I want to hear the story of Todd, but before you do, you kind of mentioned fire. Are you are you into the fire movement? Absolutely. Uh I think once I kind of uncovered the wormhole you seem to get sucked in <laughs> and there's just so much content out there, which you guys have become a big part of this, these days. Uh, and I just, you know, definitely have a thirst for it that I, I continue to, to go after and consume as much as I can. So what does that mean for you? What is that? Does that mean a specific age of retirement? Does that mean a specific net worth at retirement? Does that mean a passive income goal? Like, I mean, what does fire mean for you? Yeah. You know, when, when I talk to people about it and they ask me, why would you want to do that? Why would, what were you going to do with your time? And I ask them, do you like the weekends? And the answer is always yes, of course. And I said, I want every single day to be the weekend. So that's what it means in a simplistic term. In terms of more numbers wise, you know, I, I routinely track my, my spending every single year and keep tabs on kind of where different categories are. So I have a pretty good idea based on the 4% rule, what that would need to be. You know, I'm, I'm reading more and more that maybe the, the new 4% is 3.5%. So I have a good idea of what kind of the overall number needs to be and timelines of when we should get there. I've been surprised at how much consistently we've hit our savings goals each year since we've started tracking for the last four years. And that's what stood out to me the most. So if we continue to keep up projections and, you know, that's that's with having children uh, coming into the fold and additional expenses with them, um, we've been able to pretty accurately forecast. So, you know, eventually we'd like to get to a couple of million dollars. I think that'll be plenty to, to support the lifestyle that we envision for ourselves. So that's kind of your number, I got to ask. So that's uh, two million bucks or something? 
Yeah, somewhere, I, I think right around 1.6 is when I think it becomes very realistic um, to start having the conversation. But with Cushion, I would think a $2 million number would satisfy all of our needs and, you know, hopefully then some. Yeah, so two million at four percent is what eighty thousand dollars uh, amount spending a year. Mm-hmm, exactly. So what are let's kind of talk before we dive into your story and and how you got to where you are and you live in a high cost of living area as you mentioned. How does that affect? Obviously, you have higher rent prices and and other pieces. How have you ever thought about moving from a higher cost of living area, or how has that kind of affected your financial journey? Yeah, you know, I'm, I've I've been in the same area most of my life. So haven't really looked to, you, know, you see people talk about houses for $110,000 and just the small things that you don't really put much thought into groceries, you know, our grocery budget always seems to be uh, blown out of the water. Um, daycare costs are uh, very variable region to region, but I think also comes with the job opportunities. I never, I never expected or really even thought about making the amount of money I'm, I'm fortunate enough to make at this point. That was never really the motivation for me in terms of seeking out a career. And it's kind of found a path into this sales uh, role. So I think that's kind of led to the the trade-off that comes with the high cost of living area. There are definitely higher salaries and higher earning potential. And so that's where we settle with that. Yeah, it's hard. And I, I'm kind of in there with you living in, in New York. It's, it's hard. Sometimes I think, gosh, am I missing out on an opportunity to buy a home that will appreciate in value? But you know, we just interviewed somebody that said, hey, homes don't always go up in value. And I spent more in my home and everyone always says a home's a great investment, but it hasn't been for me. Mm-hmm. Right? But then there's others where it really has been. And so, you know, it's a it's a question I think a lot of people dingle with. So let's just back up and, and kind of share your story. How did you get to where you are? You seem relatively young, high net worth. How did it all get started? Yeah, I think out of school, you know, my passion was uh, working in sports initially and I pursued that. And the best way to get in with a sports organization is to go through the sales department. Uh, there, there's usually ample need for uh, young sales professionals, but there's usually only one marketing gig and one public relations gig and one marketing gig. So I uh, said, so sure, let's let's do it. Went to the sales field. Great time to be selling a luxury product back in 2008 when I graduated. Um, I remember just the recession hitting right as I was out of school and calling up people, hawking tickets to professional sporting events. And, you know, they're worried about their mortgages and keeping their jobs. So it was a school of the hard knocks, I guess you can say, in terms of selling an environment. And after several years, realized um, I had a knack for it and said, okay, you know what? I want to challenge myself a little bit more um, and also see if there's an opportunity to earn a higher income doing this, um, sell a more sophisticated product. So made a move outside of the sports world. And I think that's where, you know, I mentioned before, it was never... It was never in my vision of, I want to go and have a career where I earn the most amount of money possible. It was more the passion side of things. But I realized the work-life balance is important. You know, if you're you're working all these evenings, you don't get to go and attend as a fan. And I miss that and um, kind of found the best of both worlds migrating out of it, um, while at the same time landing in a spot where being able to, to develop my skills and grow my career and prove my worth to a company um, that I've been able to stay with over the years and, and kind of move up the ranks. When did you kind of take an interest in, in personal finance and managing your, your life so that maybe you can retire in your 40s? Back when I got married, back in 2011, I actually recalled one day that I had purchased a book back then. And I, I looked it up prior to this call because uh, it's got the, the history of it. And it was called The Young Couple's Guide to Growing Rich. And it was written pre-blogs, pre-podcasts, early 2000s. But something around that time, it was like, all right, you're an adult now. 
<laughs> you have to make adult decisions. You have to do adult things. And I remember getting that book and it going into, you know, 401ks and IRAs and definitely felt a, li- a bit over my head. I remember opening up my 401k when I first started working and just asking, you know, friends and people who are sitting around you and most of the commentary is, why are you worried about that? Why are you looking into that? And, you know, I think overall the, the financial education is unfortunately lacking. It's no one's fault, but I don't think we're, we're taught it at any point growing up. It's something you pick up from either your family or you have to pursue it on your own. So following purchasing that book, I think there was probably a couple. I remember reading through it. I remember picking up a few things, but it wasn't until several years later, major life event. And, uh, you know, after my daughter was born, I think that's when I really started to look into it was it was college funding that it started with. And, OK, I have to pick out some stocks that I need to invest in. And how do I go about picking which stocks to invest in? I have no idea. And I was prepared to open up a, an account at one of these brokerage, uh, online brokerages, and uh, just stumbled onto the right forums and the right blogs and found some of the financial independence uh, blogosphere. And that's that's the way we went. And did your wife kind of take the reins too, or was that kind of more of a sales process for her to kind of get on board <laughs> with what you wanted to do? Yeah, I think, you know, it's... She's gonna, she's gonna go and listen to this, man. So you got to be careful here. I know, I know. (laughs) I'm putting you on the spot, but you know. Yeah, I think it has to be approached the right way. Going and saying, "Hey, here's all these people who are saving seventy percent of what they make, and they're cutting all these things out of their lives and all these luxuries, and not doing this and this and this and this anymore." Definitely not the right way to approach it. So you know, sent a couple of the posts I thought were really interesting. She has a mathematics background, so tried to compel her with the numbers a little bit, which I don't think uh, actually worked. But I think once you got behind the concept of this is about spending more time and having the freedom to do what we want to do, um, you know, mentioning, hey, if we follow these projections, like how much more time with our kids eventually we get back. You know, to me, I, I love that idea of when my, my children are doing the, the high school sports and the high school events like that, that hopefully is open time for me. I want to be the dad who gets to go and, you know, cheer, cheer them on and every single thing they do and to the obnoxious point. But that's kind of what motivates me with the whole thing. And I think she got on board with that concept pretty easily once I presented it in that fashion. Yeah. And, and being in a high cost of living area, you, you kind of have some decisions to make, right? With kids and daycare and you know, work and commute times and everything else. And how did you kind of all manage all of those decisions and, and what you're going to do? And I know you kind of let us in a little bit of a secret that you're going to be working from, from your house a lot more, but how did that kind yes. of play into this, this plan? I'd be lying if I didn't say it's a constant work in progress. And I think it's something that just keeping lines of communication open constantly and Finances are clearly a part of it. You know, there's a daycare that's walking distance from where we live, but it's more than double the cost of the one that's four miles up the road. With that trade-off comes, you know, with with a lot of traffic, uh, an extra 40 minutes round trip some days after you do the drop-off and, uh, you know, negotiating how many times are we going to just, you know, order in and do that and make it easier ourselves versus cooking our own home-cooked meals and figuring out what we're going to be, you know, doing night to night. So it's a constant negotiation and communication. And um, I think you can't let finances completely sway it, you know, spend on the things that make your life easier. I think we've really tried to go back to that from a value perspective. So things that can kind of take away time and more manual labor and effort on our part, you know, so we can try to find that right balance, but it's a constant back and forth and making sure we don't tip too much one way or the other. 
Yeah, totally. I think it, it's an interesting concept to kind of think about, right? Like, you know, five, ten years ago, let's say you, you weren't even necessarily on this journey. And then all of a sudden you bring kids into the mix, you bring job changes into the mix or living changes into the mix. And then you add kind of that daycare and all these other expenses that all of a sudden kind of maybe not derail the plan, but it's like, okay, we got to, we got to be a little bit more intentional on how we go about doing this. Absolutely. And it's so ironic because it's, you know, that, that time when people are probably 25 to 30 and they're first starting to figure everything out and they got the, the first or second job under their belt and they're starting to see some career progression. Um, it's so easy to uh, allow the lifestyle inflation to happen and, and people feel they earn it and they do. And, and that, that makes sense. But, uh, if, if people are fortunate enough to get some of this education and, and realize the, the power of compounding, which you hear over and over again, but when, you do the math on it and realize how true it is. I remember that the first time I started investing in my 401k and I put together an Excel spreadsheet that I put together myself and just kind of played around with, okay, if, if I do this per year and it earns this much return, it was something conservative. I think it was six or 7%. Um, and seeing how large the numbers would get, I really thought I was entering the numbers wrong. I couldn't believe it at first, you know, seeing, oh wow. So in you know, 10 years, I'd have this in 20 years, I'd have this. So just the ability for people to start early before all the life events come into place, the houses, the, the weddings, the, the kids, you could get out to such a huge advantage if you do it the right way. Yeah. Let's shift gears here a little bit and, and kind of talk about the future. Where do you kind of go from here? Are you really trying to target a net worth? Are you trying to hope for to, to get to some sort of withdrawal rate from your assets? Do you have any plans investing in real estate or any type of other type, you know, quote unquote, passive income streams? What's kind of the plan to get there so that you can retire early in, in your 40s? Yeah, absolutely. Real estate, you know, has always been something that, that I've heard about and thought about it a little bit and then move away. Um, I'm the type of person that when, when the light bulb goes out of my house, I kind of look up at it. I look at my wife and I go, what are we going to do? I guess we have to move now. Um, so <laughs> probably owning single families is not the thing for me with a lot more of that responsibility. But I, I have been allured by the concept of doing, you know, some of the different syndicated deals that I know you guys have, uh, you know, talked about in the past and getting in on that. And that seems to potentially be a good route. Otherwise, I think just continuing to do what we've done. Being able to see the advantages of using all these tax advantage accounts and um, having the discipline to to almost act as if we're you know on low margins and and moving the money over from the bank account as soon as it hits, I, I see that path to getting to that eventual million. It's kind of unbelievable that the amount of time I've been focused on this three or four years. In another three or four years, that'll get us to that first million dollars, and then from there, um, hopefully, just escalate up. So. Uh, once we get to that $2 million mark, I think that's, in my mind, the, the big, I don't want to say finish line, but at least we can close the, the, the book and move on to the next one. And that way, we really have that freedom in our hand and, and can make decisions what we want to do from there. Yeah, so $2 million and, and then 4% would be your 80000 a year. Do you consider inflation in that or how does that play a role in, in kind of this retirement plan? Yeah, I think there, there's so many moving parts with it, right? The, the healthcare is that major, major component that's kind of the, yeah. the outlier that it's hard to predict where things will be with that. I think for us, a major level we have to pull is moving to a lower cost of living area. That is definitely one of the things that we know for sure we plan on doing when we, we've made all the, basically set ourselves up in terms of having all the, the uh, assets. 
So that's going to be one thing. I think the unpredictability of the children, um, the daycare costs are so huge right now. You know, it's funny. Everyone talks about saving for college, saving for college. And no one talks about the fact that immediately you're going to be paying for the daycare, which very easily could be on the same scale as college. So, you know, to me, we're, we're looking at a big cash inflow in the next couple of years as the kids transition into public school, which will be nice. But I think down the line, that'll be something to look at. Inflation is obviously something to be concerned with. But if you factor in, uh, you know, what the, the equity return should be, um, that's kind of baked in there if done properly. But yeah, it all has to be watched and, you know, what it evolves into in terms of what we're interested in doing at that point. I think anyone who you talk to in, in the fire community, they always say, well, no one doesn't earn some sort of money once they, they transition out of kind of their full-time careers. Um, and, and I think that's going to be true. I think there'll be things that we find that, you know, are more creative outlets that'll be able to generate some sort of income stream, you know, keep the lights on and pay the utilities, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I don't, I think we've said this a couple of times on the show before. I don't know that fire always means retirement, right? It yeah. might just mean, it might just mean refocusing or shifting to something different. Sometimes I get a kick out of it when people say they're retired, but then they work full time on a website or something. You know, <laughs> sure. and it's like, well, you're not really retired. You're just kind of working at home, or you shifted. You, yeah, maybe you don't work a W two job, or you work for yourself. But you know, I don't. Maybe retirement's not the word, the best word, or I get hung up on it. But I agree with you that even if we're retired or not working our W two job, eventually we find something to do or to make us money, or we kind of just get bored. I would assume. Yeah. I love the movie uh, Office Space where. Uh, the main character, that the less he seems to care about work, the more of a valuable asset he becomes. Um, and while I don't outwardly project that, I think me- internally, mentally, there's definitely been a transition for me in my career where, you know, the more I just realize, you know, what my focus is in terms of life, the more it allows me to not be as caught up in all the, the day-to-day and ins and outs and be more honest with uh, both my employees as well as my superiors. And I think that gets you a long way, surprisingly. Yeah. You mentioned moving from a, a high cost of living area. That, do you think that could affect your income, though? Well, I think that would be after we finish that, that stage of our career. So, you know, as long as we're still going to be professionals, we're going to remain where we are. Um, and it would all be one big rip the bandaid off transition at once of, um, moving to that lower cost of living area. And I think it's something that we talk about right now and, and look forward to, you know, it's, it's a little bit of, at least from a plan, planning perspective, predictability that we feel, okay, early forties, we're going to make this big change. It's not, um, geographically a significant amount of distance, still driving distance, but it's something we kind of look forward to of getting out of the hustle and bustle of a, a metropolitan area. And getting more into a more suburban, even rural uh, type of living arrangement. Sure. And how old are you right now? Me and my wife are both thirty-three. So you're only if you're if you're young forties, you're only what less than ten years away from this. Yeah, definitely less than ten years in terms of projections. You know, if things keep going as planned, hopefully six years ish uh, from it. But uh, or six six or seven years from it, um, we'll see where the chips fall. Obviously how the markets perform, which is the big unknown, uh, will have a major uh, effect on that. But uh, yeah, that, that's the plan. Awesome. And what is your wife? Where does she work in? What field does she work in? Sure. She works kind of in, in project management for a publishing company. And she's kind of pursued uh, a career down that track. Awesome. And you guys said you have two kids right now? Yep. Four and one, two children. Did your financial situation at all affect when you when you chose to have children? Yeah, I think me and my wife have been fortunate to have been together for a long time. And I think 
having the the good fortune to kind of plan out life's major stages, uh, and at least for us, go with what we thought would be the best sequential order for us in terms of uh, you know getting our careers set up to a decent amount. You know, them pursuing having children, them pursuing you know purchasing a home has helped out, and I think it's been calculated along the way as best as we could. So that did play into it. Sure. Awesome. So let's get some motivation here from you because you're you're young, right? Thirty three, net worth of six hundred and fifty thousand. Well, you'll hit millionaire in the next what five or so years, three, four, five years or something. Yeah, right. Depending, I, depending, I guess, where the markets go. What about somebody who's your age or you know a couple years behind you and and doesn't have much? What if they're feeling discouraged? What what advice would you give to them? Yeah, tracking is huge. I think knowing what you're spending on, you know, the I, I know uh, Marie Kondo is all the rage these days, but knowing what gives you value in terms of what you purchase and what you spend on, I think questioning is there some kind of alternative, especially for the bigger items or the the bigger norms. The thing I take the most pride in is our car. I think when I go and drop the kids off at daycare, you look at the other ten uh, parking spots and they're all lined up with SUVs, and we have our tiny little uh, 10-year-old vehicle there that we have both car seats in. My wife initially thought, no, you know, there's no way this is ever going to happen. I know friends have said it to us before, you know, we're amazed you never had to purchase a new vehicle. That to me is my badge of honor, you know. So look for things that people consider the norm and say, is there a different way to do this? You know, is it valuable to me if I go with just the way everything else in society or, you know, marketing tells us to go? And I think that's a good way to do it. And I think just from a career perspective, you know, I think I'm actually of the mindset, don't pursue your passion. I think that's uh, advice that maybe leads people down an, an unstable or unrealistic path. Um, and I would say to people, find things that you can become skilled in. Once you become skilled, find, find companies or employers that are open to compensating you fairly that uh, appreciate your skill set and your work ethic. And that's one of the biggest pieces of advice that I can give out to people. Yeah, I think it's great advice and, and totally agree with you. Let's just, before we wrap up here and kind of end with some closing questions on mistakes and advice, let's just end with some rapid fire questions. So what's the most expensive pair of jeans or pants you've ever purchased? I'm not, I'm not a big jeans guy, probably 35 bucks. Okay. Most expensive shoes? Mm, probably a pair of sneakers for $85. Okay. Most expensive car? Most expensive car, I've only purchased one, and it was a used vehicle for 10000 Okay, most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? Yeah, this is the always always the one that gets me on this show. I'm, I'm shocked at some of the numbers. For us, it's got to be probably close to $300, uh, you know, and that's just getting a couple of appetizers and a nice bottle of wine. Yeah, I tell you, we probably had, what, Jace, ranging from 60 bucks to $2,500 or something? Yeah, a couple grand, I think. So it's just an interesting question. What item or items or experiences are worth spending more money on to you? Uh, for me, you know, I, I talked about my background in professional sports. If I know it's going to be a, a once in a lifetime event, you know, big, big game, big player retirement, I, I'm, I'm happy to lay down some decent money for that because those are the things that to me are just uh, some of the most exciting parts of life. What's the best game or what's the, your favorite game that you've been to? Oh, that is a great question. I am a huge Yankees fan. I was able to attend back in 2001 Derek Jeter's walk-off home run in the World Series, uh, oh, as well man. as his final game at Yankee Stadium where he had the walk-off hit. So uh, I don't think anything will ever be able to top either of those two moments. <laughs> okay, what's not worth the money or what are you trying to save on? 
not worth the money. Oh, a lot of things, in my opinion. Clothes. I'm not a big clothing person. Uh, you know, I think anything that where where it can be functional and you're paying for just the aesthetics or the name brand, I really don't buy into a lot of that. The vehicle I mentioned is not a big deal thing for me. You know, in certain certain travel experiences, you know, I don't need to travel luxuriously. Uh, you know, the the plane flight's still going to get you there from point A to point B. Um, so you know, I don't indulge in first class or business class or anything like that. And I'm fine taking the Uber pools wherever available. <laughs> All right. What was your uh, high school and college GPA, if you can remember? My high school had a weird system. It, it was on like a 4.6 scale. So I think I had something like a 4.2 or 4.3 in high school. College, I could not tell you. Probably somewhere around 3.5 or so on a 4, 4 scale. Okay. Predicted retirement age and net worth. We talked about how much do you spend a year. You told us about 100000 right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, what's been your favorite favorite books or any books you recommend? Books I recommend, I know uh, the the Playing with Fire book by Scott Rickens just came out, kind of you know documenting his journey recently into uh, this world of, of personal finance and financial independence. And I think what's great about it, rather than the technical side, he really speaks about that mental framework and that transition and um, what him and his wife uh, had to go through with their young daughter. And I found it just, again, to my situation, very relatable. So um, that's that's my current favorite that I've read recently. Awesome. What tech tools or websites or budgeting apps, anything you use specifically that's helped you on this journey? Yeah, two big ones stand out. Personal Capital, I think, does a great job with their free resources of you know tracking your spending, um, giving you kind of an x-ray tool into what are you paying in terms of fees for all of your funds that you have. The other one, I have to plug uh, you know, Mad Scientist website. That's what initially really opened my eyes called Tax Optimization. He's got a great tracker on there that's actually modeled after Vicky Robbins' idea of uh, the crossover point in your money or your life where you plug in just three data points, your monthly spending, your monthly savings, and your overall net worth, and it'll give you a, a spit out of how long you have to financial independence and what your projected numbers need to be. Um, and that's another free tool that I think is excellent. So when you do that, what do you put in as your rate of return on your investments? You get to, to modify that. I try to be conservative, and I always put in 7%. And then as much as you're comfortable sharing, what's been your range of household income through your working life? Sure. When, when we first came out of school, we were making uh, $52,000 combined, and that's elevated just to gradual raises and promotions upwards of, I think this year we'll, we'll probably finish around 230000 so that's pretty amazing. You four times it in what, less than 10 years or so? Yeah. And that's with uh, my wife spending a couple of years uh, going back to school and pursuing a, a separate uh, bachelor's degree, just having a complete career shift and so not an advanced degree. But yeah, we've been able to, to grow up pretty significantly. Wow. Good for you. And has your, has your standard of living increased all that much or have you guys kept it relatively the same? Yeah, I think that's where the trick has been. I, I don't think it has. Um, I think if you were to factor in all the the child costs to take care were probably pretty much in line with what we were spending other than, you know, a little bit more in terms of uh, the, the where we live. Um, I don't think the discretionary spending has really increased much at all in 10 years time. And, and that's what we've been able to maintain control over. Awesome. Do your friends or family know that you guys are as wealthy as you are or on your on this on this journey? It's interesting how you ask that. Wealthy as we are. I don't I don't know. I try to, to bring it up into conversation and make myself open if people want to talk about this type of stuff. But in the day in and day out, people 
really don't seem to have a, a huge interest in it. I kind of feel like if, if everything goes according to plans, the things that we've spoken about in the last half hour, you know, people, when it happens, are going to go, whoa, wait, how did you do that? And, and my response could be, you know, I've been trying to bring it up over the years and, uh, you know, I'm happy to talk about it now. But no, I don't think in terms of the success we've had, we've been able to put away, you know, uh, upper five figures each of the last couple of years here. Uh, I don't think anybody would really expect that from the outside looking in. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? Some people are super interested in it and some people maybe it clicks a little bit later or it clicks when they have a life event such as getting married or having children. But, you know, it's interesting even for Jason as we're friends and we have some mutual friends, people that aren't interested or don't even ask about it, you know, and we're sitting here like, okay, we've interviewed a hundred millionaires and we've kind of heard all these stories and talked about everything. And, but some people still just really have no interest in, in the personal finance side of things. Yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, there's that great quote that the, the, teacher will arrive when the student is ready and you know some people in their lives uh find it out later rather than sooner and um hopefully everyone at some point stumbles into it and you guys are doing a great job of creating one medium that makes it easy for people to digest and hopefully uh everyone has their their you know awakening moment <laughs> to embrace right. the world of personal finance yeah, whatever yeah. that means and for, and for some whatever maybe it doesn't come but it's all right so you seem, Todd, pretty much like a millionaire next door kind of guy. Is that right? Yeah, I would think that's a perfect explanation. When I read that book, I'm like, yep, all of this checks out. These are my restaurants that I go to. These are my places that I go shopping for uh, clothing. And, uh, you know, this is the car that I drive. So spot on in terms of their research that they did in that book. couple last questions. Do you think that your standard of living will change at all when you retire or when you get to that point where you feel like you're financially independent? That's that's a good question. I think we had a couple of years where we were able to live in a, a definitely a nicer type of building. Um, and I think me and my wife have both talked about how we would love to get back to that point um, and maybe moving to a lower cost of living area will make that more of a reality. I think that's the biggest thing that we would see ourselves spending more money on. Um, otherwise, I, I really don't. I, I think from a travel perspective, we're, we're big into the travel rewards and taking advantage of that. So I don't see us, you know, becoming globetrotters or anything like that. I don't see us suddenly wanting bigger and better. So I think it would be status quo here on out. The thing that I do think about that I don't hear people talk about is just advances of technology. Um, you know, in, in 10 years time is, is virtual reality, uh, watching of television and movies going to be the norm. And what's that going to cost when it initially comes out? And what kind of cool gadgets will we have? Cause I don't think people anticipated ever spending a thousand dollars on a phone, you know, 30 years ago. So those are some of the unknowns that I think about, but you know, in due time, uh, that'll play itself out. Yeah, totally. And do you track your net worth frequently? Yeah, absolutely. Probably too much. <laughs> uh, you know, with the different apps and stuff, it makes it so easy to just peek in there and take a look, uh, you know, at any point during the day. So, you know, probably most that goes by is a couple of days without glancing at it. And do you record it like month over month or year over year anywhere? Or do you just kind of check in there on the apps once once every couple of days? Yeah, I have the app and then I have my own spreadsheet that I've been keeping for quite some time. You know, when I was younger, I remember stumbling onto a piece of paper uh, that my father had put together uh, of his kind of just putting year over year his salary, um, you know, and, and I always remember not the numbers, but just that exercise and uh, years later asking him about it because it always stuck with me. And I said, that was really interesting. You know, you always kind of kept track of, of what you were doing. So, you know, once I hit that point, I have a spreadsheet that, was basically the same thing I have going back to kind of the year I graduated college, what my 
overall earnings were for the year and what the net worth was and have just kept that updated out of habit over time. That's awesome. So do you have any final words of advice that you would give somebody who's just starting out? I think educate yourself. Find the things that you can relate with. There's so many resources out there now and so many stories that make it, you know, you can find things similar to your situation. I think it takes time. Uh, I, I, I typically read about the comparisons to, you know, living a, a healthy lifestyle and fitness, which I'm always trying to do better. And, you know, it's easy to read about them, but to actually implement is the challenging part. Um, and I think, you know, this is something that once you get the education portion out of the way, fortunately, there's a lot of things that can make it easier to implement it. So take advantage of automatic investing, take advantage of, you know, that kind of mentality of hiding money from yourself, because you really do see the progress. And, and by tracking it in increments, you'll see that, um, you know, hopefully quarter over quarter and year over year. Awesome. It's Todd with a net worth over $650,000. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.